Well, take your Bibles and turn to Malachi. If you know anything about the Ten Commandments, you're saying, why are we turning to Malachi? Because this is where we ended uh, before Christmas in our fall series on the Minor Prophets. And I wanted to show you where I was prompted, I trust by the Spirit of God, as I was studying for this last message um, in Malachi, I'm always thinking about what next, right? When I remember preaching the final message in a series, I think, okay, now what? I got I to gotta figure out what we're, where we're going to go next. And in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, this is what Malachi the prophet said. He said, remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Horeb is another name for, anybody know? Sinai, Mount Sinai. And uh, here at the very end of the, the Old Testament, uh, God through the prophet Malachi was reminding the people to remember the law, remember what God told them when he gave the commandments on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, for them to live according to. And of course, the reason why there was prophets is because the people didn't always live according to the law of God. They forgot the law, they disregarded the law, they spurned the law. And so here, uh, at the very end of the Old Testament, again, almost as if it was echoing into the New Testament, uh, remember the law of Moses. And so that reminded me of obviously the Ten Commandments, and I thought, man, we need to, we need to do a series on the Ten Commandments um, in, in, in application of that exhortation there in, in Malachi 4.4. And so tonight, uh, we're going to launch into a, a study of what is probably the most well-known portion of God's Word. We know it as the Ten Commandments. And I think you would be hard-pressed to find... Uh, Many people in the educated world who have not heard of the Ten Commandments. Uh, sadly, however, I, I think if you were to ask most people, including many Christians, they wouldn't know where to find them in the Bible, nor would they be able to list all ten of them. How about you? Do you know where to turn in God's Word to read the Ten Commandments? So where, where would you turn? Exodus chapter 20. Very good. That's one place where the Ten Commandments are listed. Where's the second place? Deuteronomy chapter 5. That was close. So you were Deuteronomy, in the same neighborhood, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, so yeah, Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, where they're reiterated uh, there by Moses before the people go into the promised land. Now... Knowing where they're located is one thing. Now, knowing what they actually say. Um, do you think if I were to come out there with this microphone, and I, I'm not going to do that to you, right? You're getting all nervous, right? Could you, could you list off all ten of the commandments? And if so, could you do them in order? Anybody think they know all ten commandments in order? Anybody brave enough to raise their hand? I'm not going to ask you to do it, okay? 
But I'm just curious, seriously, I'm just curious how many of you would think, hey, I think I know all Ten Commandments in their proper order. So I got one hand, I got two hands, I got three, four. Do I hear five? Okay, here's another one. Okay, good. There's several of you that, that are, are admitting or agreeing, yeah, I, I know those uh, by, by heart. Now that means the rest of you are, are, are a little scared, a little shaky uh, on, on uh, the, the Ten Commandments. My question is, um, how can we keep the Ten Commandments if, first of all, we don't know even where they are? located in Scripture, and how can we keep the Ten Commandments if we don't know what they are? And so I, I think it, it should come as no surprise in, in light of the fact that most people uh, don't know where the Ten Commandments are found, nor could they list the Ten Commandments. I don't think it should surprise us that our culture and even the church is in such bad shape morally. Uh, you have been watching the news, I'm sure, as I have, uh, just over the last uh, uh, few weeks, and, and uh, even this past week, we've seen some uh, shocking uh, immorality uh, in, in the news. And I mean immorality, not just sexual immorality, I just mean immorality, things that are immoral, things that are not pleasing to God, like, of course, the terror, terror attacks in, in Paris with the Islamic uh, uh, extremists who massacred those, those newspaper uh, uh, people and, and Charlie Hebdo for pu- publishing those pictures of Muhammad. Uh, you've, I'm sure, been reading or watching in the news the Boko Raham uh, in, in Nigeria, that violent jihadist movement that are abducting hundreds of, of girls and, and, and murdering thousands of people. Uh, of course, we've, in our own country... Uh, it seems to pale in comparison to those uh, atrocities, but uh, the rioting and the looting across uh, the U.S. as a result of grand juries acquitting police officers for, for killing unarmed criminals and, uh, and then you know, the retaliation, the shooting of police officers in New York City, and then, and then to add insult to injury, the, the, the police officers turned their back on the mayor of New York, uh, New York City, uh, during the funeral services. Um, it seems like everywhere you turn... Uh, and there's another uh, high-profile uh, same-sex marriage being being uh, promoted, being being legalized. Uh, there's there's all sorts of adultery. Uh, there there's school shootings and and just on and on and on. It's it's a never-ending uh, cycle for you know the daily news, and, and all of these things that we're watching or reading about in the news reveal man's depravity. And rebellion against authority, which leads to all-out anarchy or lawlessness. And 1 John 3, 4 says this, Everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I can't think of a, 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 a more apt description of our society today. Uh, it, it's lawless. And it's obvious that fewer and fewer people in our world care about the laws of the land, let alone know or care about the laws of God. And as a result, their lives are characterized by lawlessness. They, they live their lives apart from any laws. And in light of the times in, in which we live, there's never been a greater urgency for, for those of us who claim to know and love the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, to live lawful lives Specifically, we need to clearly understand what God's laws mean and how they practically apply to our lives. And consequently, there's no section of God's word 
more important or more relevant to our lives today than the Ten Commandments. And I want you to turn now to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to begin just by reading uh, the Ten Commandments as given originally by God uh, through Moses on Mount Sinai. This is Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the, in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor." Now, even though these 10 laws were established by God for the nation of Israel close to 3,500 years ago, I believe they're vitally important and extremely relevant for our lives as Christians in this day and age. These are timeless truths. And so our subtitle here is, is 10 Timeless Truths to guide and guard us on our journey through life. Now, that guide and guard concept won't come out till maybe uh, the second or third session together, but uh, hopefully that'll just plant a seed in your mind and, and hopefully create some curiosity about uh, really the graciousness of the law, of the Ten Commandments. In fact, when we were looking at the various ideas of, of, uh, of pictures to use to, to get a visual image of the, of, of the Ten Commandments. Of course, there's the classic uh, uh, Charleston Heston. We, we wanted to do that one, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments movie. But, but there were some pictures of, of some classic paintings of, of Moses with the Ten Commandments over his head with lightning coming down and, and he was going to smash those things. And I thought, well, that's a pretty powerful image. But you know what? Uh, I think, unfortunately, people view the commandments as these harsh uh, laws. And, and really, when we get down to it, that each of those laws that we just read are very gracious. Um, and we're going to see that next week when we look at the historical background, uh, is that these are very gracious gifts from God in order to provide us guidance and also to protect us uh, and, and help us survive uh, in this life. 
And so hopefully we'll have a very positive perspective on these Ten Commandments as we, as we learn more about them. Um, but I would submit to you that the Ten Commandments serve as the foundation for living the Christian life. These are not just for the nation of Israel. Uh, they, they are the source and summary of every other passage in the Bible about holy living. In fact, some scholars have, have concluded that all of Scripture is a commentary on the Ten Commandments. Listen to A.W. Pink, who's written a great book on the Ten Commandments. He says, quote, The rest of the Scriptures are but a commentary on the Ten Commandments, either exciting us to obedience by arguments alluring us by promises, restraining from transgressions by threatenings, or spurring us to the one and withholding us from the other by examples recorded in the historical portions. Rightly understood, the precepts of the New Testament are but explications, amplifications, and applications of the Ten Commandments. Let me say that again. Rightly understood, The precepts of the New Testament are but explications, amplifications, and applications of the Ten Commandments. I think the key phrase there in that sentence is rightly understood. In other words, if not rightly understood, some of the passages or some passages in the New Testament would lead us to conclude that the Ten Commandments are no longer applicable to us today. And there are some Christians, well-intended Christians and Bible scholars, who would uh, deny that the Ten Commandments have any application for us today. They would just say, you know what, they were for the nation of Israel and they no longer apply to us. Because we are no longer part of the Old Covenant, we're part of the New Covenant, and the Ten Commandments were part of the Old Covenant, and now we're in Christ. And so they would uh, rally around verses like John 1.17, which says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.14, For you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 7, 4 and 6, you also were made to die to the law through the blood of Christ, but now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter, i.e. the letter of the law. Now, having read those verses, uh, I would say this, and you know this to be true, that with the exception of the fourth commandment, which is which one? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. With the exception of the fourth commandment, all of the Ten Commandments are either repeated, refined, or reinforced in the New Testament, either by Jesus or the apostles. Let's look at Jesus, for example, Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what Jesus had to say about the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That word fulfill means obey. So in other words, he's saying that I came to obey the law perfectly and to finish it completely. Verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commands, commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he quotes one of the Ten Commandments. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, in other words, you jerk, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And then he goes on in verse 27 You have heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. He quotes another one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so what was Jesus doing here? He was correcting the people's superficial knowledge of the Ten Commandments. There was a lot more to to knowing the commandments than meets the eye. They're they're much deeper and richer than they might appear on the surface. They're not just a simple list of divine do's and don'ts. God chose to to list in in those Ten Commandments the most extreme examples of a particular category of sin. But each command applies to all the lesser sins that lead up to that sin or are related to that sin. For example, it's not enough to just not commit adultery, to commit the act of adultery, even the act leading up to that, the lusting with your eyes, is a part of violating the, the, the command to not commit adultery. Same thing with murder. It's not, it's not just to, to not commit murder, but it's the, it's the anger and the wrath and the bitterness that leads up to that. That's also included under the category of thou shalt not murder. So the commands as we'll see, include not just outward actions, the act of murder, the act of adultery, but the inward thoughts, the inward attitudes, uh, the inward desires. Also, every command is double-sided. Every one of the Ten Commandments is, is double-sided. It's, it, there's a positive, thou shalt do this, and if you're supposed to do this, then that also implies that you shouldn't do this. Or if it says, don't do this, it's also implied that you should do this. Where a sin is forbidden, a duty is required. Where a duty is required, a sin is forbidden. And so what might at first seem like a simple command, thou shalt not commit adultery or you know, thou shalt not murder, uh, ends up overwhelming us with the magnitude of our sinfulness. You say, well, you know what? I've never murdered anyone. I've never cheated on my spouse. Well, have you ever hated somebody? then guess what? You violated the command to not murder, according to Jesus. Have you ever lusted after someone? Well, guess what? You may have not committed adultery, but in Jesus' mind, that falls under the category of not committing adultery. That's what Jesus had to say. How about the Apostle Paul? Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 31. Romans chapter 3, verse 31, and we're just getting a feel for what does the New Testament say about the Old Testament law. Romans chapter 3, verse 31 Paul says, do we then nullify the law through faith? In other words, because of our faith, 
in Christ? Does that mean that, 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 we're, that, that the law is nullified? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Chapter 7, verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That doesn't sound like something that no longer applies, does it? He says it's holy, it's, 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 it's righteous, it's good. How about 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, listen to what Paul says here. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. In other words, there's a, there's a right use of the law. And so I think there, there's two key issues here that we need to, to rightly understand um, if we're to use or understand and apply the Ten Commandments properly, if we're to use it lawfully. And so what are those, what are those key issues? Well, I think, number one, we need to understand the different forms of the law. And then secondly, we need to understand the different functions of the law the different uses of the law. And so tonight, again, we're just doing a, a, an overview of the Ten Commandments, just kind of getting comfortable with the, 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 uh, the, the atmosphere around Mount Sinai. By the way, that's an actual picture of Mount Sinai. And I thought that might be a graphic image of where uh, God touched down with fire and, uh, and spoke to his people. But uh, just getting acclimated to the... To the uh, to the, to the area there, what, what are the different forms of the law? Well, historically, and really in the Reformed tradition, uh, the, the, that uh, the Reformers uh, divided up the law, the Old Testament law, uh, into three separate categories. And I know some of you are familiar with this, but there's the ceremonial law, uh, there's the, the, the civil law or judicial law, and then there's the moral law. In other words, you could take all the laws of the Old Testament that God gave to the nation of Israel and you can divide them into three separate categories. There's ceremonial law, uh, and there's, there's judicial law or civil law, and then there's moral law. The ceremonial law uh, regulated the, the spirituality of the people. The, the, the civil or judicial law regulated the society. And the moral law regulated the sanctity or the holiness of the people. So ceremonial law had to do with the people's worship. So anything to do with feasts, any laws that had to do with feasts or rules about festivals or rules about sacrifices or rules about food and what kind of food you could eat that made you clean or unclean, the kind of clothes you would wear, some of the habits and practices, those would be all considered the ceremonial law. Um, well, we know that, that, that the ceremonial law, all of that really pointed to who? To Christ, uh, particularly the, the sacrificial system. For example, uh, why, don't we, uh, why, why don't we show up here every, every Sunday or every Wednesday with our, with our goat or our sheep or our dove, you know, and, and we're burning some barbecue out back and we're, we're offering sacrifices unto the Lord. Why don't we do that? Because Christ was the sacrifice. He paid the sacrifice, and so he was the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system, and all the ceremonial laws uh, no longer apply to us because they were fulfilled in Christ. And aren't you thankful? Because that means you get to eat bacon. Um, I don't know what life would be like without bacon, right? You can eat bacon. Uh, you don't have to worry about just only wearing polyester, 
clothes on one day and then cotton clothes. You can actually mix things together. You don't have to look at all the labels and say, you know, you can also eat fried shrimp. Okay, that's a good thing because uh, in the Old Testament they said no shellfish, right? So these are all kind of part of the ceremonial laws, the cl- cleanliness. Um, again, all these things were pointing uh, to, to Christ. Then you've got the, the, the judicial or civil law. and this is, this is, These were all the laws related to the legal matters of society, the, the punishments for certain crimes, uh, land, debt, inheritance, slaves, all these things. And, and of course, uh, Old Testament Israel was a theocracy, which meant it was ruled by who? God, uh, and that's, that's not easy to apply uh, to our day and age when we're a democracy, right? So there's a totally different thing going on here in the world uh, with what God did with the nation of Israel and, and what he's doing with the United States and in Europe and other countries. And so all these laws are very difficult to apply uh, in, in a society like ours that is totally different uh, than a theocracy when God was the king. And so those laws, uh, for the most part, don't apply. But then you've got the moral law. And the moral law are, are laws that are, again, t- have to do with morality. And they're the timeless truths of Scripture, which are summarized where? What's our series on? The Ten Commandments. And so while there's, um, there, there's, there's, there's lots of discontinuity between... Israel and the church. In other words, there's differences that the church is not the new Israel. It's not like the church replaced Israel. Uh, you know, no, that's not happening. There's there's definitely some differences that there are two different things. But there's also some continuity between the two, and there's a lot of similarities between the two. And one of those is the moral law. That in the same way Israel was required uh, to keep the Ten Commandments, right, to have no other gods before them to not make idols, to not use the Lord's name in vain, uh, to, to, not, uh, to, to honor their father and mother, to not lie, to not, to not uh, uh, covet, uh, all those things, right? Those things still apply to us today. So those are the, the three forms of the law. And again, you can go uh, in, in most theology books, you can go uh, in, in most uh, Reformed uh, blog sites and discussions, you can see uh, this, this pretty traditional breakdown uh, of the three forms of the law. And so we just need to keep those things in mind, and we can't just do a complete transfer of the Old Testament to the New Testament. No, we have to say, okay, there's certain things from the Old Testament that pass over to the New Testament, and we'll leave that as the moral law. The Ten Commandments. Um, so there's three forms of the law, but there's also three functions of the law. I think it's important that we understand what are the, what are the functions or the purposes of the law. The law is, is like a multi-purpose tool. It's like a Swiss army knife. You know, you ever had a Swiss army knife and you kind of whip that thing open and it's got a screwdriver, it's got, you know, a coarse screw, it's got a knife, it's got, you know, who knows what it's got. It's got, you know, tons of different things and, and you can use it for a ton of different things. So, so the point is God never gave us the law, so we could earn our salvation by keeping it. I think that's the most important thing. If you don't hear anything else tonight, okay, or in this series of the Ten Commandments, don't miss this principle that God never gave us the law so we could earn our salvation by keeping it. You cannot earn your salvation by doing anything, let alone keeping the Ten Commandments. 
We know that, Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Uh, Ephesians 2.8.9, For by grace are we saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so no one can boast. So we're talking about the purpose, the functions of the law. So we, we have to, before we can say what the law was for, right, we, we have to say what it wasn't for. And, and it wasn't for our salvation. God gave us the Ten Commandments knowing full well that none of us would ever be able to keep them. He, he wanted us to look to the only one who ever could and did keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and that is who? Jesus Christ, and place our faith in him alone for our salvation. And so the law was designed by God to lead us to Christ. Galatians 3.24 couldn't be any clearer. It says, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Stop trying to work your way to heaven by being a good person, by keeping the Ten Commandments, because guess what? You'll never do it. And so you realize, man, I'm a wreck. I can't keep the Ten Commandments. I need to place my faith. I have to be justified in some other way. And, and the Bible presents that other way, and that's by faith. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the story of the rich young ruler, Matthew 19. This uh, rich young ruler came running up to Jesus, uh, wanting to know what he had to do to be saved. Matthew 19, verse 16 And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? What must I do to to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to go to heaven when I die? And this is how Jesus responded. He said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. You're like, wait a minute. I thought you just said that Jesus and the apostles taught that you can't Get to heaven by keeping the commandments. So why is Jesus telling them to keep the commandments? Verse 18, then he said to him, which ones? So the guy, you know, he threw out the lure there and the guy bit. He goes, well, okay, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so he lists uh, some of the commandments from the second half of the Decalogue, the ones that have to do with loving your neighbor. The first uh, four commands are all about your relationship with God. The the second or the the, the back six are all about your relationship with, with each other, with other people. And so listen to how the young man responds. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? You think that was true? I think this guy had a, 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 a misperception of his ability to keep the Ten Commandments. Uh, he was thinking way too highly of himself. Verse 20, the young man said, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. The, the point is, why I read that, is Jesus pointed this young man to the Ten Commandments, not so that he could be saved, but to show him that he needed to be saved. That's the point. 
Not, not so that he would be saved, but to show him he needed to be saved, to lead him to forsake his, his self-righteousness. That was this guy's problem. He was, he was self-righteous. And, 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 and Jesus wanted him to embrace the righteousness of, of Christ, embrace his righteousness by faith. The point is, none of us will ever be good enough to go to heaven. We all need someone else to save us. That someone is Jesus, who is the ultimate lawgiver and law keeper. And so, having established why God didn't give us the law, he didn't give us the law for us to keep so that we would be saved. Okay, so if, if keeping the law can't save us, then what, what, what purpose does it serve? Why did God establish the law? Well, why did he give us the Ten Commandments? Well, first of all, it was to expose sin. To expose sin. Again, look at some verses with me. Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How do you know you're a sinner and you need a Savior? It's because of the law. Paul illustrates this in his own life, how it worked in his conversion, Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. In other words, I thought I was doing really good until I was exposed to the law and I realized what a wretched sinner I was. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says was the result of being exposed to the law. Galatians 3.10. He says, For as many as are the works of the law, for, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Have any of you abided by everything that the law says? Have you kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Anybody? Okay, no rich young rulers in here? Going to say, well, I've, I've, I've kept all those. Listen, none of us have perfectly kept the commandments, and therefore we are what? Cursed. We're cursed. And so the idea here is that that none of us can match up to God's standard of righteousness, which is perfection. Even if we disobey one command, that makes us guilty of violating all of them. That's what James says. James chapter 2, verse 10. All you got to do is sin once in your history. You deserve hell. And so our, our inability to keep the law makes it undeniably clear that we are sinners who deserve to be cursed, we deserve to be punished by God in hell, and therefore are in a desperate need of a Savior. Martin Luther said it this way, the true function and the chief and proper use of the law is to reveal to man his sin, blindness, misery, wickedness, ignorance, hate, contempt of God, death, hell, judgment, and the well-deserved wrath of God. 
That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, is to expose our sin. Uh, if you've read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you, you'll remember this, this scene. It's just my, one of the most memorable scenes in my mind uh, as I, uh, thinking back on reading Pilgrim's Progress is when uh, Christian was in the, the interpreter's house uh, and he went into the different rooms and there was a room that he went into that was all dusty. Remember this? And, and, and somebody grabbed a broom and started sweeping the dust, and it just got worse. And, and the dust started flying all around. You've been there when you're cleaning the house, doing spring cleaning, right? You start dusting, and it just starts dust billowing everywhere, and you start to <coughs> cough, and you can't even catch your breath, right? And what happens? And so then here comes a guy, runs in with some water, and he dampens down uh, all, the, all the dust, and then he's able to finally sweep it up. You've done that, right? You've got a bunch of sawdust around, and how am I going to get it up? Well, you spray it down with water, you sweep it up, and it really comes up nice and clean. What's the picture? What was the interpreter trying to teach? What was the point Bunyan was making there? Well, the dust represents what? Sin. And, and the broom represents what? The law. So here we are. We all have sin in our life. And then you get exposed to the, you get the broom out and you start going like this and it gets worse. You're like, whoa, stop that. And then the water comes and that's the, the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ which knocks down the dust, and you're able to get cleaned up, if you will. Um, what, a, what a vivid image of the purpose of the law. Bunyan said this, The man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin. And he who does not know the nature of sin cannot know the nature of the Savior. In other words, if you're going to get saved, right? If you're going to come and know Jesus, you've got to be exposed to the law, right? Or you, you, I should say, you've got to know you're a sinner, who needs a Savior, and the only way you're going to know you're a sinner is if you're exposed to the law. That's why I love that uh, it's common missionary practice uh, when uh, missionaries go into uh, maybe a tribal setting like the guys are doing down, down in, uh, in, in Peru, that, that oftentimes they go in and the first thing they do is they teach the tribe the Ten Commandments. They teach them the law. Uh, to, to, to expose their sin. In other words, they give them the bad news. They start at Mount Sinai so they can get to Mount Calvary. You can't just show up and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, guys. You got to build the case for why they need Jesus. And so you teach them the law and you teach them the Ten Commandments and how far they fall short of that and it just exposes their sin. And I've, I've watched an amazing video of, of, of one particular tribe, the Taliabu people, who when they got to the part about the cross, they just began to weep because they were so overwhelmed with guilt because of their sin, having been taught the Old Testament law, and, and, and they were feeling overwhelmed. And all of a sudden they presented the gospel, the good news in Jesus Christ, and these people wept and they all came forward to receive Christ. It was like a, the whole tribe got saved. It was this amazing revival because and it just shows the work of the law to expose sin and to prepare people to hear the gospel. So, number one, the law functions to expose sin. Um, I, I guess you could call it a mirror, okay? If you want a picture here, uh, the, the law serves as a mirror where you see your sin. You look at yourself and go, ugh. And so it's a mirror. Secondly, uh, the law functions to enclose sin, to enclose sin. And so if it acts like a, a mirror in exposing sin, it acts like a muzzle. The law also acts as a muzzle to enclose sin. Look at Romans chapter 2, verses 14 uh, and 15. 
Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternatively, alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. The the point is that that God did not just write the law on two tablets back on Mount Sinai. He wrote the law on the heart of every person. It's it's called our conscience. And and, and what our conscience does, it, it keeps our depravity in check. That's why we, excuse me, talk about not searing your conscience. When you see your conscience, you, you dull your conscience and you're, and you're able to go sin and not feel bad about it. But typically, when, when, you, when you're thinking about sin or you are sinning, uh, you, you get a guilty conscience. Well, where'd that come from? Because there's a law in your heart. God gave you a conscience that, that, that instinctively tells you that's right, that's wrong. Nobody had to tell you what was right or wrong. Nobody had to teach you how to lie. Okay, you, you, you figure that out yourself. Your parents didn't sit you down and say, now let me teach you, little Johnny, how to lie. All right, you figure that out yourself, right? But then you realize that was wrong. That was wrong, and, and, and why? Because you, God gave you this conscience. So, so the point is this, knowing in our hearts that there is a great and mighty God who's established a, a clear system of right and wrong, then that we're going to stand before him someday and be judged for what we do and don't do, including the secrets of our hearts, that should make us fearful of sinning. And we're going to see that when we go back to Exodus chapter 20, uh, that, that the response of the people uh, when they were given the law on Mount Sinai was what? What was the emotion that they experienced? Fear. A healthy sense of awe and reverence for God. Calvin, John Calvin, likened the law to a horse's bridle that reins man in so he doesn't run headlong into sin. I mean, what's, I mean yeah, our world is depraved. There, there's, there's anarchy all over the place, but it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. What, what's holding us back from just going headlong into sin? It's the law. It's, it's the law written on all of our consciences that knows that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. And so it holds us back. It reigns us in. And then thirdly, okay, the third function, it not only exposes sin, it not only encloses sin, it evades sin. In other words, it helps us uh, e- evade sin. And, and if it's a, a mirror, the law acts as a mirror. It acts as a muzzle. It also acts as a map. It acts as a map. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul says here. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In other words, we are delivered from the curse of the law so we can keep the law by the power of the spirit who lives within us. 
And once we get saved, check this out, what he's saying is we no longer feel condemned by the law, but rather we should feel compelled by the law to keep it out of love for Christ by the power of the Spirit within us. So as believers, the law no longer condemns, but it commands. And I love how the Puritans worded this. This is Samuel Bolton. He said this, The law sends us to the gospel so that we may be justified, and the gospel sends us back to the law to find out what our duty is now that we're justified. In other words, the law sends us to Christ for salvation, and Christ sends us back to the law for sanctification. You get that? It's not like he just, okay, we come to Christ, so yeah, forget about the law. No, now, now, you can, now you can obey. I enable you to obey the law to live a life that's pleasing to me. Someone said it this way, salvation transforms the commandments from enemies to friends. Before you're saved, the Ten Commandments are your enemies. They're your worst enemies. Because all they do is they keep rubbing your nose in your sin and showing you how wicked you are and how depraved you are and how badly you need a Savior. But once you get saved, they become your best friends. Because you realize that they were ultimately given as a gracious gift from God to guide you and to guard you on your journey through life. And so they help Christians in our striving after holiness. They show us how to live a holy life that is pleasing to God. The the, the Ten Commandments lay out for us the way that God wants us to live our lives. They are are God's laws for life. If you want a a simple definition of the Ten Commandments, they are God's laws for life. The the Ten Commandments, you could could liken it to to the owner's manual for life. And and, and you've got owner's manuals for things, laying around your house in a drawer somewhere in your glove compartment in your car, right? And, and they, they contain a set of operating instructions like how to, how do I operate this thing? Um, and, and if you want your car to run well and, and last a long time, you need to follow the owner's manual. You need to follow the, the directions. Um, what did Jesus say, or well, what did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6 to children? Honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you, and you will live long on the earth. It's the first commandment with a promise. He was quoting, uh, he was qu- quoting the fifth commandment there. And so the, the idea here is that the, your, the, the prosperity and longevity of your life depend on whether or not you follow the instructions that God gave you. Living well is based on obeying well. When we follow God's instructions, life works better. Have you noticed that? I mean, when you follow the instructions, when you follow the owner's manual, right, and you actually put, like, you know, diesel fuel in your diesel engine, it just runs better. But if you were to put something else in that diesel engine, you're going to have a hard time. It's not going to go so well, right? Um, Just follow the instructions. Life just goes better. And so this is the point. Listen carefully. Keeping the law won't save your soul, but it will save you from untold pain and heartache and the unwanted consequences of sin. Keeping the law will not save your soul. It will save you from untold pain and heartache and unwanted consequences of sin. That's what 
What I mean there by saying that it not only guides us, but it guards us. Uh, it keeps us from messing up our lives. It, it provides guardrails to keep us from running off into a ditch or going off of a cliff. And what I love about the Ten Commandments is, is, is unlike most owner's manuals that are really complicated, very detailed, and I mean, we were driving back from Colorado over Christmas and some little light came on our car dash, and I didn't, I'd never seen that before. I didn't know what it was. I said, hey, honey, get that owner's manual out and let's see if we can find out what that light means. So she's got the thing out. And she's, I mean, it's like you're looking in the back, trying to find your flip through. It's like all this stuff. Like, are you kidding me? Where are you supposed to find this thing? And then you read the, you finally find it and you read it. You can't understand it. At least I couldn't understand it. Not saying much, but, but, but unlike your car's owner's manual that tends to be complicated, very detailed, the manual that God gave us is very short, it's very concise, it's very easy to understand. And you think about it, considering who he is, the God of the universe, infinite, Right, uh, and 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 consider who he's dealing with. Us knuckleheads. Uh, he 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 could have said a whole lot more. It, it could have been the hundred and one commandments, but he wasn't. It was how many? Ten. He chose just ten. And these ten things are what he wanted us to know and do more than anything. Else. These are the issues. The Ten Commandments are the issues that are closest to God's heart. And he considered them important enough to engrave them on our hearts as well. They're on his heart eternally. They've been on his heart. And they matter so much to him that he engraved them on our hearts as well. Look at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. And we're almost done here. For tonight, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. This is a prophecy of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day. I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart and I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He originally wrote his law on some stones, on some tablets, right? Now he's writing it on their hearts, he says. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The point, I think, of the Ten Commandments is that we get a glimpse into the heart of God. The Ten Commandments are a window uh, into the heart of God. They're they're a reflection of His character, and they're an expression of His will. They're a reflection of His character and an expression of His will. And so the main reason why God gave them to us is so that we would know who He is and what He wants. And the main reason we should study and obey the Ten Commandments is so we can know Him more and become more like Him and reflect Him 
in this world. That's what we're called to do. That's what he had called the nation of Israel to do, to reflect him to the pagan nations around them. That's what he calls us to do, is to reflect God in this world. And there's no better way to do that than by keeping the Ten Commandments. If we are living in a lawless age, and we are, the, the simplest way, the best way uh, to, to stick out like a sore thumb, if you will, or to stick out more, uh, probably to be that light, um, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The, the simplest, best way to do that is just keep the Ten Commandments. Live a lawful life. Live your life according to the Ten Commandments and you're going to stick out uh, at your work. You're going to stick out at your school. You're going to stick out in your neighborhood. You're going to stick out in your home if you're the only believer there. Just living your life according to the Ten Commandments. Well, that's just uh, a background that I felt we needed to talk about, kind of wading into the subject of the Ten Commandments. Next week... We're going to go behind the scenes of the Ten Commandments. We're going to pull back the curtain, if you will, on Mount Sinai and look at the historical context in which they're given. And, and we're going to find out why we need to keep God's laws for life, namely because of who he is, number one, and because of what he's done for us. And we're going to see next week how, how the Ten Commandments are really words of grace. They're not words of wrath. Um, in anger and fire and judgment, their words of grace and mercy. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for uh, the opportunity to study your word together, and particularly this section of, uh, of uh, Exodus, Lord, and the Ten Commandments. And I know there's a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of disagreement in the church today about whether or not um, you should even teach the Ten Commandments uh, because we don't want to impose the law on, on people who are no longer bound by the law. But Lord, when we understand uh, the purposes of your law, uh, particularly the moral law, Lord, you want us to uh, continue to honor you um, according to the Ten Commandments because they're, they're a reflection of your character and your character never changes. And so thank you that you've given us the law to, to point us to Christ, to show us the need for Christ. And thank you that Christ points us back to the law uh, to know how to live our lives as Christians in a way that pleases him and, and can be a great witness, a great light for him in this lost and lawless world. We pray you'd help us, Lord, to, to not just um, study these uh, commands and, and increase our knowledge, but Lord, would you help us to, to, to learn to keep them and obey them and to live them out. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week, and uh, we'll get into uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. All right?